Hi everyone and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast episode 34. If you don't know what this podcast is about because you just randomly found it on iTunes or whatever platform you're using, then this is a podcast about natural health. I interview natural health and fitness professionals, organic farmers and food producers and anyone whose business and life's mission is to help us support our health. We cover topics like organic farming, herbalism, fitness training, natural therapies and we also talk a lot about food and share plant-based nutritious recipes that support and nourish our body. I got a bit out of the habit of recording intros and I would normally introduce my guests when I'm recording the interview. But I have to make an exception today because I really didn't do my guest a justice this time around. So I decided to scrap my miserable introduction and do it all over again. My guest for this episode is someone with a lot of passion for what he does someone with incredible vision for what he wants to do and with a truly lovely personality. He is a student of herbal medicine and a producer of wonderful herbal tea blends, the founder of the Wild Sage, Garth Falls. And I hope you'll enjoy our conversation as much as I did. The Wild Sage, let's start with that actually. Okay. Um, Where did the name come from? Um, The name comes from uh, that kind of childhood kind of pursuit for wisdom. Um, So the sage is always associated with somebody who is wise, somebody who seeks not only good advice, but gives good advice, somebody that you will seek solace from. Um, Very much engaging in the soul. So it's that whole deep resonance of kind of looking beyond the superficial to what is actually going on underneath. Um, the wild comes from the whole idea of it's not um, cultivated, that it's indigenous, that it grows naturally, and it's hard to tame. So I'm not somebody that fits in the box particularly well. It, there is no box. Um, and it's just that whole idea of wanting to pursue wisdom, but also not really wanting to be conformed by what society says is the right way to do things. And actually, can I look for something that's ancient? Um, but something that was true. So the wild siege was the way that we wanted to go. That's really deep. <laughs> you might find that today. <laughs> I have a tendency to kind of go a little bit deeper than it would be. So yeah, it was just the name that it stuck. I mean, we played with some things for a while and nothing really stuck. And we're going, we need a name, we need a name. Um, and it was just that whole idea. Well, it's, it's about wisdom. Um, and so herbalism, you know, it's that whole pursuit of finding out really what our ancestors knew, and particularly actually with Western herbalism. Um, th- there's a lot of information about traditional Chinese medicine. There's a lot about Ayurvedic. Um, indigenous uh, Native Indians are brilliant, but they pass it on throughout the elders. Um, Western tradition got completely overthrown by pharmaceutical and big business um, and really doctors, the physicians, um, and the society of physicians. So we don't have a lot of that heritage and that ancient wisdom. There's some in Irish, um, which I'm beginning to kind of find out a little bit about. Um, So it's just, I want to know what has been stolen from us. Um, It's that pursuit, really, of stuff that that we should know, but we can't, and that the big multinational conglomerates have kind of taken away from us, um, hence the name. To know this, that is so true, and I'm already going to divert from what I wanted to talk about. In oh dear! <laughs> but no, you just reminded me of this is so true because I don't know anything, and I I really wonder whether there is an accumulative knowledge about um, the herbal tradition where I come from. So yeah, I'm from yeah. the Czech Republic, and there's bound to be some Central Eastern European herbal tradition, but. Where is it? Where did my grandmother learn the stuff that she knew about herbs? Like, where did that come from? I never, I never heard her talking about her mom passing that knowledge on. So I kind of wondered, like, did our grandparents just learn it by trying or by necessity because they were the generation of Second World War and they had to literally live off, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. they had available around them? Or, like, where did this come from, come from and, and where did it disappear to? Well, I don't like, I think, is there any Romani kind of within Czech Republic? Would there be a travelling community still um, yeah. there? Yeah. 
Um, but so not I, the I, same way as in Ireland. It, okay. It's slightly different. Because that traditional thing, I certainly you look at um, Romania and herbal medicine is massive mm. because it's been passed on throughout a real travelling um, community and that structure, that hierarchy is in place of passing it on from generation to generation. Yeah. Um, a lot of kind of the Western European... Um, knowledge of it, it's intuitive or things that have accidentally been passed on. So there are records of, you know, censuses being taken, particularly Ireland, and I don't know so much about Europe, um, where people were using traditional um, medicine that's just been passed on. It seems to be almost, well, you just know. Um, and the war you're mentioning, it was a big thing, so like hawthorn rose hips, all of those things that were used for vitamins and, and really to, to help save the nation from starvation. Um, kind of came back to light but people didn't know it was important we'd lost that sense of we could do this for ourselves that self-sufficiency had kind of disappeared um, and I think there is a real interest in trying to find something of our roots again because there's a sense in which we've lost our identity of who we are because it's all city-based, mall-based uh, and and so there has been a bit of a it feels a bit like the good life, you know, of kind of going back and, and getting in touch with the land and how good that is for you medically. Um, but but realising that there's something that we can really learn and that's empowering because we kind of, we feel as though you've kind of lost all of that knowledge that's been taken from you. So I find it really empowering to go and unlock some of that ancient stuff. You mentioned cities and then kind of mall culture and it's definitely part of it because I... I, I am pretty sure that it's mainly city people and people who live close, in close proximity to cities, whereas people who live in the mountains and has always, have always lived in the mountains or close to the city, yeah. they have definitely much better connection with the nature and they never really lost that connection. But actually, uh, let's uh, go back a little because um, you haven't always been a herbalist. No. And... I want to know how you got into this whole world of nature and herbalism. What brought you to that and what it is that you did before? Um, yeah, do you know that there's a whole long story or the short story? Um, but the, <laughs> the irony of it really is, is that it's a coming of age story, I guess. Um, do you know, like I did my levels was biology, geography, RE. Everybody looked at me and went, what the chuff are you at? <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. What way are you going to go? Because it's... It's too broad. It doesn't have any kind of specific direction. Is it going to be medicine? Is it you know, going to be teaching because of the geography? Is it going to be religion and you're going to go into ministry? Um, and it, for the first time, feels as though I have come right full circle to this is exactly what I should be doing because the biology fits in, the geography fits in, um, that whole care of the environment, very much part of herbalism. Uh, and the spiritual, so it's, it's holistic. So the whole idea of it's not just about fixing people it's actually looking at the whole person and you can't do that without looking at the spiritual as well and um, so my background was um church work youth work ministry um community development and um, social business and um really through crisis um we had gone from trying to develop a third millennium monastery kind of again that whole idea of unblocking ancient wells so looking at what was the ancient monastery like in Ireland it's got nothing like the um all of the abbeys that we would know in Ireland today um very very some people think pagan i think it's particularly hebraic it's very jewish in its take um and i'm going to wonder which way i'm going to go here but That whole, I wanted to redeem something of that monastic lifestyle. Um, and we got money from the Department of Social Development. We got real approval. We won awards from the government for the way in which we were going, but politics got in the way. Funding got taken. I lost my job. We were pregnant, homeless. Crisis hit. And we, had, we went on a trip to Brazil. My wife's um, native Indian from Brazil. And in Brazil... You're seeing on street corners these people who are homeless, jobless, have absolutely nothing, yet they're able to make their own candles, sweets, um, just sell anything that they can um, because there's no welfare state. So I'm probably somebody that's kind of anti the welfare state, though I kind of still need it, um, because I feel it's robbed us of that creativity of making things for ourselves. So we started up a soap business and uh, we came back to Ireland 
and really for the last 10 years we had a soap company called Scent um, and it was that whole idea of just carrying a social business but also an ethical ethos to a cosmetics, cosmetics business um, and we did that, we took a bit of a break for fostering and um, really whenever the children were just hitting school time it was now my time, I'd been very much the, the guy at home um, and it was well, what am I going to do now? I couldn't go back into church work partly because I was pursuing this kind of Hebraic Jewish things that Christians just didn't understand because um, they thought that I lost it completely um, and I needed some way to generate an income and I stumbled, it was either going to be politics or it was going to be something to do with eldership and community. How can I be an elder in the community without having to work for the church necessarily? How can I be a blessing to community? Um, and it kind of tied in with the soaps and the cosmetics of I wanted to know more about the herbs. I, I wanted to know what was in our hedgerows that I could go and use and feed our family because we had just no money. Um, so I decided to enrol in this herbal medicine course. Um, and I have absolutely loved it. it but it is full circle Do you know, I feel like this is exactly where I should have been for the last 25 years this is really cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's different I mean most people come into herbalism because either they've had parents or they've just always had a real thing about plants I'm coming at it from um, that whole Christian idea of herbalists were pagan and witchcraft and that this was something that was bad and to be avoided. So for me, I mean, I know nothing about plants comparatively compared to some of the other guys around. But actually, I do know people quite well. Like, I read people well. I know people that I can listen to where a person's coming from. And I'm beginning to now know about the plants and, and what might be good for them. But... But it wasn't the natural path for me to take. It was a love of people and probably a vocational element. You know, it was a real love of God, a love of um, kind of discipleship that's taken me to a place of trying to build community. Herbalism is just one of the ways I think that I could do that and, I, and be a blessing. And especially we had the global crisis, 2010. So what happens if, you know, the world goes and hits the fan again? Well, we'd be stuck. I mean, the whole thing with Brexit pharmaceuticals, the big thing has been about medicine, we'll lose medicine, but we don't need that because the herbs will work. But we just don't know how to use the herbs. So I, I do think that there's something timely, but but also um, redemptive, I, I guess, just in, in trying to focus on the herbs at the minute. I actually think that this kind of crisis you're talking about would probably be even good for the country because we really need to learn to be self-reliant. And I think this country can. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about mainland, but Ireland, Northern Ireland definitely can. Like, look at the land around us. Big time. I think we are incredibly blessed here. Like, I wake up every morning and I can't believe how lucky I am that I can live in this country. It's so beautiful. And everywhere you look, there is something that this land is so given. I yeah. can't believe that we actually need to import stuff. What for? Yeah. No big time. <laughs> I completely agree. Like, yeah, no, we're definitely, definitely lucky here. And so you're studying, you're currently completed your first or second year? Yeah, I'm right in the middle of my second year, so okay. I have another year and a half to go. Um, so I'm just at the stage where I'm beginning to do clinical placements, um, consultations, case histories, and then kind of working out with another herbalist what prescriptions you might offer. Um, and in the interim, very much it's the applied case studies. So, you know, it's I'm listening to people going away, talking about it, thinking about it. Um, so it's a very much applied medicine course. Um, and I think probably the, the course that I'm doing, is its emphasis is that I will be a diagnostician, you know, that I can actually treat as a GP. Um, so it's medically heavy. Uh, and that's good probably for me um, to gain confidence, and particularly Northern Ireland. Herbalists don't get great approval ratings from the NHS or GPs. It's beginning to change. So having the backing and the medical training for me is, is key to be able to make it in towards um, just even building relationships with your local GPs. That is incredible. I th No, I think that is really important. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I still don't understand why there is such um, kind of, 
such a bad approach when it comes to NHS and the alternative, which I still don't understand why it's called alternative <laughs> medicine. <laughs> I never kind of, I've been using that word for years, but I never really truly understood why we have to call it that way. Um, but yeah, that, that approach, that kind of um, border between the NHS and the natural um, health approach, um, I, I still don't understand why why it's still there. I mean, over the past two years, it's been numerous times proven that these two worlds should really work together. Yeah. Why it's not that way, it's just... Yeah, I can't get... I don't get it. Do you know, it, but it's funny because it, there's... Do you know that whole idea of there's nothing new under the sun? Do you know it? Yeah. We go in cycles. You go back to the 1600s and you look at the, what was happening between the herbalists, the apothecaries, the pharmaceuticals, the barbers and the GPs. And it is all to do with authority, money. Um, and it's the same power that corrupts. Um, and it, it's that same selfish pursuit that that allows us to kind of, we want to promote our own cause. Uh, and the big thing for, for me, I guess, is that we absolutely need the doctors and the surgeons when it becomes necessary to fix a problem. But realistically, we should be really empowering people to look at well, the whole person, what's causing that in the first place. And before you get to the place where you need the surgeon, you know, we, we could probably do some preventative medicine. Um, and that's really the power of the holistic and unfortunately, you know, for GPs, and it's really not their fault, they have seven to ten minutes with you as a patient. A herbalist will have an hour and a half. Mm. It, you know, it, it's a completely different experience. Um, it is beginning to change. I mean, Germany's brilliant at it. Australia's fabulous at it. South Africa can be real ahead of the game. Canada, I think in Canada, some of the herbalists, it's illegal to practice, and yet they can go in and give intravenous chips, um, intravenous injections um, because it's pretty much accepted. Yeah, we still have a bit of a way to go. But there is hope. I mean, there are pilot projects that are happening in the UK, just not here yet. Um, but there needs to be the desire from both sides. Um, but unfortunately, that's not a problem we can solve here now. But it's, it's the same thing that I go on and on about pretty much in every podcast yeah it's it's the we kind of we are at fault as well because we kind of went with the flow and were brought up with the mentality of you have a problem you get a pill problem fixed yeah but hopefully people like you well we're getting there <laughs> we'll <break> it <laughs> the but so you're you you're halfway through your course and you are making these absolutely amazing teas applying the Thank knowledge you. that you've learned so far, so tell me about the teas. When did the idea of making and selling these tea happen and, and how did it all come about and how does it tie into what you actually want to do with what you're studying right now? Okay, so um, again, that whole idea, a crisis creates you know an opportunity. So um, the herbal medicine course was going, but my wife had been working part-time and was just made redundant. And we had that moment of, we can't continue the course which is our priority to get this done um, but we can't continue if we don't have an income we will apply for jobs both of us but then there was the realization of I have already signed up to do the course I, it is right it is timely for me this is the time to really do this um, so in the interim how do we generate an income so it was absolute needs must um, we didn't have any money um, to put into the herbal teas but that came just I think I gave myself two weeks to come up with an idea as to how I would do a business. It has to be tied in with who I am and what I want to do in the future. Um, and towards, I think, day 10 or 11, I went, herbal tea, we could do herbal tea. Um, and I began to look into, you know, what would the capital investment be? And I realised it was probably just for me to start, very basic, £1,500. I went, well, so we need £1,500 because you know, my credit card is increasing and we just don't have the cash. So we kind of prayed and went, well, okay, God, if it's that, open the door and made the money become available. And uh, by the end of the two weeks, by the 14 days, I had £1,500 to be able to put into the business as a startup. So we got a few books, we got the herbs um, and realised... I couldn't give so many hours towards a business startup. I mean, it's a crazy idea to start up a business when you're studying. You don't do it. Um, 
so how was it going to do kind of how was I going to manage it and really the idea was if I had 30 people that did a subscription that was enough to pay for the course if Carla my wife was able to go and get the rest of the money for the food we could probably justify it and manage it um, and so we started and uh, it's been good it, like it's been a slow grow um, and it's been a learning curve but it's brilliant because it's applying you know all of the knowledge that I may be learning but I'm beginning to put it into practice because I'm making teas and blends that I can use in practice as prescriptions as well as then seasonal you know and actually harvesting so it's getting to know the plants um, how am I going to use this plant? And, and that's been just absolutely fabulous. That's amazing. And I do have to say that I have your subscription. And you I, do, the, thank you. The teas <laughs> I've been getting, they are amazing. Not only they taste amazing, but I, I can actually, you can feel the change. Like I have a couple of favorites and I, I, I do feel when I'm drinking them and when I'm not drinking them and I kind of finish at the end, I'm just like, oh, I wish I had another packet because I really miss it. It's a brilliant idea. And, and what a wonderful way to put your knowledge and you, what you're constantly learning into practice. And it, it's, it's, it's a fantastic idea. I mean, one of the things that we're about to do are like um, infused vinegars and infused oils. But so again, do you know, we have this whole idea of it's a culinary thing, but actually that started out as medicine. Even so your, your shot of gin for your gin and tonic, I mean, that started out as medicine. Yet we have kind of now got into, you have your g and tea. But I mean, and so a lot of those tinctures that we would drink now in the, you know, take from the off license and go and make our, um, I'm trying to think of another one, actually. I can't, gin's the one <laughs> that came to mind, <laughs> just because I might be partial to a bit of that. But it's just, just, you know, why were we doing that? Why was it that some herbs were better in an oil, some herbs were better in a vinegar, some were better in alcohol? What's that about? And realising that I can actually maybe start making some of those things, not as a prescription, but just as food, that are preventative medicine. So, you know, the rosemary vinegar is kind of currently in the middle of infusing, so I can go and give it to people who have dandruff. That I just love because it's a food product. I don't need to do any of the cosmetics legislation, but I can say what this is for. Um, and having been in cosmetics for a while, it's a bureaucratic nightmare. So finding this as a niche, whether it's teas, oils, I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. Do you know that, that there is something about what you just said about the using like food for yeah. other purposes? And I actually think that it's a brilliant idea because I kind of, over the past couple of years, I've learned that why would you put on your body something that you can't put in your body? Like, well, that's we? interesting because, so everybody's concerned about your gut at the minute yeah. um, and what you're taking. So they're recommending having organic and, you know, I'm very much promoting organic local for a number of different reasons. And it's very much to do with healing the, the gut but the big thing is the largest organ in your body is your skin and it's porous. So you put on anything that's been sprayed with pharmaceuticals or any sprays, any pesticides, and you put that on your skin, it's absorbed straight into your blood. So it, I mean, your digestive tract will protect your body in a number of ways so that it doesn't absorb any of the toxins. Put it on your skin, that's a whole different issue. So for us, when we've had the cosmetics um, for a long time and it's always been organic well not that's not so true we had some that was and some was soap art um but we personally would only ever have used things that were organic on our skin um because it's it's really it's key it's critical yeah no totally i've been i've been kind of on that journey for for, for the past while mm -hmm. and uh, now i'm actually at this stage when i most of the time i don't bother even buying things like body lotions and stuff yeah. I just uh, or things like women spend hundreds of pounds every year for like makeup removing stuffs and tonics and I'm just like uh, there's a vinegar there's olive oil that's all I, <laughs> <laughs> I have it in the kitchen why would I go and buy something else for my skin that's all I need to Absolutely. use <laughs> so that's where I am with cosmetics right now but no absolutely like we don't yeah um, it's just we're basically just contributing to the money making machine and big corporation and all of that yes don't go local yes yeah, totally. <laughs> go local use food for your skin um, but back to the teas where do you get inspiration for your teas 
Right, so there were two ways that we wanted to do it. One of them was seasonal, so for the subscription. The other way of doing it was that it was based around health. Um, specifically with the health, I will have a range of herbs that I might be able to use. I'm interestingly maybe going to change it at the minute because I'm looking at what Irish herbs were used in teas. At the minute I would kind of use some of the Chinese herbs, some Indian herbs. Um, but I, I look at what the range is. I then, what is the emphasis? What is I'm trying to do? So at the minute, I've just made a tea for the adrenal system. It just a, it's called adrenal. Um, so I was thinking, well, what are the herbs that I want to use? Now, in this instance, it's a lot of mushrooms. So it's chaga, reishi, um, astragalus. And how do I want to complement that blend? So it's going to taste very earthy, very mushroomy. So my next thought is you've got your top note, your middle note, your base note. Same if you were doing perfumes. Um, you will have the smell, but also the taste. Um, medicine, most herbalists will say, um, particularly with bitters, so if you're wanting to use something like dandelion, right, it's really important that you, you taste the bitterness of the dandelion because that will in turn help your liver and um, the bile from the pancreas and um, just get the juices going. So part of its very function requires you to taste the bitterness. So for you to make a tea that then complements it too much and throws in another herb to disguise it, well, that defeats the purpose. So you've got to be mindful as to why you're making the tea in the first place. Um, but my emphasis is to try and make a tea that will taste pleasing. Um, so you might add something like aniseed or licorice. Now, licorice medicinally is an amazing herb anyway. Um, but just to try and balance out the bitterness. So you can still taste it, but it should be complemented with something else. Um, for the seasonal... I try and look at, well, what can you forage at that time of the year? Or what will just have been foraged that will come into um, use in the next few months? So you would have things like elderflower can come out just in and around the time of allergy season. Amazing herb for anything to do with kind of eyes, chest, throat. Um, so really, if I'm harvesting it and drying it, that should be able to go into the teas in and around that time. So I'll think of well, what properties does it have and how can I balance it out. Um, a lot of it are recipes that I would get, not online, but um, whether it's through books, whether it's through other herbalists that have recommended doing different teas. And sometimes, yes, I'll go online and have a look at what's out there. And I'm beginning to play, you know, I might like that flavour. I've realised I don't really like berry-flavoured tea. Um so I now need to try and think of, well, what berries can I use that, that people will like? Because obviously not everybody has my taste buds. Um, dang it. <laughs> if only everybody had my taste buds. I clearly do, because I don't like berry-flavoured stuff either. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't. Although I'm about to put goji berry in it, because I kind of feel it's softer. Um, and maybe there's a tea, I think, this month that I'm going to try and put in some blueberries. We'll see. We'll see. I tried to forage for blueberries and I couldn't find any. <laughs> we went down to uh, um, to Greystones around Dublin and we thought, oh, we'll go to Wicklow and we'll find some. We'll go to forest somewhere and we're going to find some blueberries. Nope. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really foraged anything of the blueberries wild. Um, I mean, where I am, there's about kind of seven or 11 acres that I've access to. And it's all, it's rosehip hall, you know, it's the typical, the blackberries. But I haven't really got much nearby um, that would be like the blueberries and the mulberries. Loads of stuff for tea, though. Loads of stuff for tea, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's been good. And look, nettle, I mean, it's, it all's a bit around here, so I can get it. But your big thing is making sure that the farmer's not spraying. Um, and where that I would forage is at least feasible for me to forage without kind of compromising the integrity for me which is at some stage I'll want to get certification for organic um, I want to make sure my suppliers are organic so where I forage is then very important so I tend to use a quarry nearby which sounds ironic because you know it's um, dusty and, and messy but actually that's a great place for me because the herbs are untouched and they're not going to be compromised yeah that does kind of sound a little counterintuitive it does doesn't it? yeah <laughs> that's interesting but so you mainly source out, do you mainly forage or do you, how do you source out? No, so I, literally I'm tied to about 16 hours a week where I can do the wild sage. Um, most of that's at market on a Sunday at St George's. Um, so I have one other day 
Um, so when I'm designing recipes or foraging, that really is all I have. So I do forage some of the ingredients, but most of it will come in from um, an organic company in England or one down south. And there's a couple of herbalists that I sometimes need to get a herb from. Do you grow anything yourself? or? Yeah, I'm moving house, so it's not a great site at the minute. Um, I will, I would love to. I mean, isn't it our dream, your dream, my dream to have a piece of land that is our own, do permaculture, and, you know, forget all of this plying and, and, and sowing, but actually just living off a, a site that's permaculture focused. And I think ultimately for me, the wild sage with the future is that we would have a piece of land. But like, you know, we're starting it from scratch. We have, you know, pittance and no money to it. So unless somebody else gets the dream and the vision and the capital, um, that's the big picture, but it's the long haul. So yeah, would love to, um, just not at the minute. But at, at the minute, it's been one or two plants. And the reason I've, um, I've done it almost like a square meter gardening, and it was just to put one plant in, get to know it. Um, and like echinacea is outside, but I've only got two of the plants. The reason there's only the two, it wasn't so much for foraging, but it was just to get familiar with the plant, both the time it's growing, how it works in cycle with the moon, um, because all of that's important. It's not paganism, which people thought, but that's about the actual chemical constituents of the plant when it's most powerful, where the active ingredients are, whether it's in the leaf, the flower, or the root at different times of the season. So taking the time to be with it, Sounds a little bit new agey, but actually it's really important for, for medicinal reasons, for it to be nutritionally beneficial to you. You need to know when the best plant when the best time to get the plant is. You sound like a mad scientist. I kinda get in that <laughs> way, isn't it? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. But those so those things, those wisdoms that where the mothers kind of knowledge of you go and get your dandelion at certain times of the year and it's always in the full moon or you know, and it's always whenever the flower's out. Um, or you go for the leaf in the spring or the autumn, you go for the roots in the winter, and it's all to do with, I mean, they observed their plants, they knew their plants, and it's turned out how science was confirming that was exactly right. It matters. It's, see all this knowledge that you're talking about? It's, it's priceless. It's like you can't buy it anywhere. It's once you acquire that knowledge, you're like the master wizard <laughs> of herbalism. It's like... Imagine, you know, learning all this. And I mean, it takes, what you're talking about takes decades. You don't decades. stop. You, you don't, a lifetime isn't you couldn't enough. Do it. You couldn't do it. And that's why it passed on from generation to generation. Do you know, it was that you just can't do it. And the great thing about herbalism is that there is no boundary. Do you know, it doesn't start or stop anywhere. You can be whatever type of herbalist you want. You can do teaching people to forage. You could do... Um, where people have been diagnosed by a GP and they come to you and they just want the recipes and you just make up tinctures. Or you can do it as a consultation where you really are interested in the people and it's diagnostics. You can build community with it and become a teacher. There's so much you could do all through just learning about the plants that grow around us. That for me is amazing. That really is so good to be able to know that the weeds around us the most abundant plants around us that are normally seen as weeds are actually the things that we most need like the simplicity in living like that and yet it's incredibly empowering like i've learned in in the past couple of weeks um one of my former guests on the podcast dervla from the cultured club um uh, posted um about um nettle seeds being really good for adrenal glands and I was just thinking, that's such a simple thing. You'd never think of picking nettle seeds. And nettles grow everywhere. You just need to pick a, a, a patch in a forest somewhere you know nobody sprays anything and go and pick a few seeds, dry them, and then just use them as a seasoning. And it's just such a simple thing to do. You, you never think about that. <laughs> so you, you, you forage, you, you source out stuff, and then... Um, I've noticed that um, there is a big thing about your packaging as well. Cause yeah, yeah. So your packaging is really eco-friendly. Your bags are compostable. So how did that... Was it something you wanted from the very beginning? And how... It must have been really difficult to source this stuff <laughs> It's the bane of my life. Um, <laughs> right, so... Uh, so again, you know, nothing simple with me. It's got to go deeper. Um, 
there are sets of values. I think for Carla and I, when we got married, there were things that we really put down. We bedded in our marriage as to who we were, what was our identity. Um, you know, to be, for me, true to Christ, kind to people, go to the nations. But with it, there was this whole idea of being in touch with the environment. Um, you know, we had hospitality was in there. Um, and very much social justice. So, I mean, social justice was fair trade, organic was important. Um, more because we were finding out that the workers and the damage to people's skins because they were touching and harvesting crops that had been sprayed with pesticides and bananas were a big thing and, and what that was doing to their health. Um, so when we started the cosmetics, it was a no-brainer for us. We wanted it to be as environmentally friendly as we could and it was a social business. So that idea of there was a lot of money that went back into charity. We realised that that was lovely, but it just didn't give us any money. Um, so this time... We haven't set up the Wild Sage as a social business yet. Might become down the line, but we need it to generate an income for us. It's been quite selfish for the next two to three years. Um, but there were just things we couldn't bend on because it's who we are. So it has to be compostable. It has to be reusable. It had to be um, as environmentally low impact as we could make it. And it, to be honest, that ties in with a herbalist anyway most herbalists will be trying to do that should be if they're not they should be um and there's been a big kind of increased interest in plastic free you know so in st george's we do our compostable pouches but we actually also weigh the tea so that people can just take as much tea as they want um they have the option of using a biodegradable pouch in that case but um also if they bring their own container that that's brilliant is it important yeah, I think it is. And it, because, it, I mean, every herbalist will talk about being in relationship with the land, being able to be aware of where we sit in that. And again, so you get into terms like Mother Earth, and sometimes for some people that's kind of, what's the word, it puts them off, that it's that whole New Agey language. But actually it's this whole idea of that it gives to you this whole nutrition, this life, this... Um, protection shelter and that you have the duty this responsibility to be able to look after the land that is blessing you so richly and you know it boils right down to the whole avatar idea of the animals that they're um slaughtering to be able to eat they valued the life of that animal so they were able to say you know i see you i thank you for your life that's important because you become aware of how wasteful you are you become aware as to the impact you're making um, so I, it would be hypocritical for me to say that I'm not wasteful because I, I am but I certainly try to make sure that the wild sage in itself is as um, environmentally sensitive as it can be and I, I do hope that we'll get to the stage when every business whether it's a herbalist whether it's another natural health practitioner I'd like every business whatever their industry is to be carrying that ethos through yeah. their business and, and try and uh, make their impact on the environment as low as possible. Um, and that's, again, it goes back to local. Like, yeah, well, it has, yeah. I mean, ultimately, even if I had a shop, I would like it to be bulk food, plastic-free, because it starts there and then it works into, you know, food is medicine, so it's the preventative but and then if you are sick you may need your herbalist but really i mean that should be the last protocol really is going to have to go and have a consultation with your herbalist so i would love to have you know a whole food plastic free shop that just so happens to have a herbalist in it that can give advice that's free as opposed to always having to pay huge rates for your hour and a half consultation do you know that's one thing i love to see in northern ireland at least one shop to start a whole chain at one point like packaging free store where you could go and you could bring your own paper bag or glass jar and get your whole grains or whatever nuts and seeds funny, and there's a couple that are coming funny i think there's one in belmont um quarter fill or i think that they are going to open quite soon in belmont oh, really? um and is it island mcgee has one at the minute that's beginning to come. So I think there is, and certainly I would love to, you know, if anybody there has the capital to go and help us do that, that would be amazing. But um, 
it's absolutely and every community needs to have it it's not something that we need to be traveling because then you're into pollution and petrol costs mm-hmm. but being able to have something locally that you can sustain it um absolutely can you imagine if all supermarkets started doing that <laughs> no because then they're going to rob us of another opportunity <laughs> please don't test those no being a herbalist does it come hand in hand, hand in hand with leading a really really healthy lifestyle what 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 is your lifestyle? What is what is your diet like? Yeah, look, I didn't. It wouldn't have been. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't particularly healthy before I started the course. And I certainly was a lot heavier than I am now. I've lost a lot of weight since I, I started, uh, and that's not because of a decision to be healthier. Because we would have definitely had stints of being vegetarian, vegan. I have a child that's dairy, gluten, wheat free soy allergy and um, so we were always sensitive about our food and we always loved food but we were not apologetic and I love bread um, and really since we started to do the course what I've tried to do is implement all of the dietary protocols that I might prescribe at some point in the future so you know I've done a solicitate free diet a vegetarian a vegan diet and keto keto is probably the one that I'll be recommending most because it seems to fit an awful lot of the current conditions. Um, <laughs> yeah. And hence why I've lost so much weight with it. And I know it's very much in vogue, but there's a real good medical reason as to why that's good. Not for everybody, but for a number of people. Um, so I've started to implement a lot of those and I've been playing around with recipes for that. Um, my typical diet... Um, it's funny because I'm probably, I'm the cook on the day-to-day basis, but my wife's the chef, you know, she's the super taster that can really get the flavours. I am the one who will make do with what we have and, and push it. But where I come into my own is if the cupboards are empty. And they frequently are. <laughs> so, do you know, and then you're kind of looking at really random stuff and and being able just to play with it. And, and I can be really creative when I'm forced to be. And isn't that just the same all it happens again and again with me that whenever I'm forced to be creative I can come up with something really quite good so it's a lot healthier now but big on good fats um, I don't eat a lot of fruit but I would eat a lot of veg and occasionally I'm now craving dandelion leaf which is unheard of <laughs> how could anybody crave a dandelion leaf but obviously my body needs the potassium and I'm desiring to eat more green um, so, which is great and I think lifestyle yeah, I wasn't particularly healthy and fitness conscious. I, I kind of like a glass of wine, you know, it's, I, I de-stress with the wine. Um, but I've started to really get into open water swimming and, you know, and just take some time out. Certainly the herbalist um, education has been good for me to be able to spot plants. So you're slower, you know, you don't go for a walk and I'm very much vision based. I want to get to the end of the walk because I'm there to walk. Now I'm kind of going, well, I'm here to learn about plants, so I'm slower. You know, it's, that's comfrey. And comfrey and foxglove look different when the flowers are out, but the plant itself when the leaves are coming through can be confused with borage or alkanet root, you know. So just beginning to slow down and begin to kind of go, well, what is that? Isn't it beautiful? Why is it growing here? The journey's different. So, so that is less stressful. So I'm healthier than I've ever been, no doubt. Um, but I still have my mind. You should be de-stressing with herbal tea, no? Well, I do that too, <laughs> but I do that during the day. I, <laughs> and then the night time comes, you know. So. Um, you mentioned keto there, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, funny, it's a GP that teaches our um, diagnostics and anatomy. Um, she's a big advocate. She would say, literally, if there was any medical advice you were to give to almost every single um, patient that comes in through your door, there's three. One of them is stress, and you've got to look at stress and therefore your adrenal glands and being able to, to calm, calm down, to live in a modern world, but in a more traditional way. Um, the other one was sugar load, so you're into your carbs, um, your sugars. The whole idea of you know fibres and grains and carbohydrates being good for you is just shoddy evidence and probably corruption in there as well. Um, and she really has gone on diabetics and sugar-free. And then the third really was this whole idea of and good fats. You need to have the good fats in. You know, forget all of these polyunsaturated nonsense and get into really good saturated fat for your body. Um, and so she recommends keto regularly. 
Um, and certainly for me, I will be recommending it in a number of different settings. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely love that. Um, I've been playing with that for 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 the past while, and I do have to say that uh, I'm loving it because I just can't I can't deal my body cannot deal with carbs and I think for women especially because of the way we go through our hormonal journeys yeah, yeah. especially as we age it's uh, like carbs are an absolute disaster <laughs> so I, I love keto but then uh, again there's probably two ways of doing keto the right way and the wrong way and, and it is and, but, um, yeah, and the protein the protein can sometimes take over in yeah. keto where people really go on to far far too much protein um, and it is important for the vegetables to be there and the big thing is for hypothyroid keto is not the right answer um, so some people with hypothyroidism you know start to go on a keto diet and it's probably not the best diet for them to pursue mm. um, so it's not for everyone but providing it's done well you know nutritionally it's a brilliant diet and you know in four years you'll have detoxed your entire system and your cells will start to be you know have the good fats be saturated but you'll feel a difference in your skin within just a matter of weeks and um, but for from an internal cleanse point of view you're talking three to four years but it you know you stop taking unsaturated fats and you should never ever 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 have them um though i did have chips on sunday um <laughs> but they are just lethal um whereas but you do need cholesterol so you know it's make sure that you're getting good cholesterol good saturated fats into your body and the vegetables and talking about yeah. Do you have a favourite wedge? No, I don't. Uh, yeah. There's not one that I specifically look for. Um, but I do kind of go seasonal as best I can, you know, and I kind of, so you'll go into the Swedes in the winter and the parsnips that I really enjoy, but right up to your rocket leaf and um, there's not specifically one that, well, we were playing a lot, so we, we hit one of those we crisis of the finances again. Um, so nettle became our massive thing. And interestingly, there was a monk, I uh, can't remember where he was from, but he lived like for, you know, 30, 40 years solely on nettle alone. And nettle is nutritionally amazing, and it's pretty close to hemp in relation to both its constituents, but how good it is for your health in different ways, different parts of nettle. So for something that's versatile from the root right to the leaves and the seeds you mentioned earlier, it'd be hard to go past, you know, whether or not you're having a nettle stir-fry, nettle soup, nettle tea. It's a hard one to bypass. That's pretty interesting. Do you have a recipe with, with nettle? With nettle? No, I don't. Because um, that wasn't the one that I was necessarily going to choose. Um, I do... So we were making... I knew you were going to ask me something along the lines of a, a recipe. Um... So cheeses, whenever you don't have any dairy, would you have a recipe for like an almond feta, the baked feta cheese? Baked feta cheese? Yes. Wow, I never heard that one before. Okay, so um, so I'll give you the recipe for the, the almond feta cheese, but how I would serve it would be on rocket leaves with some dandelion leaves, so I'm foraging with dandelion leaves. So that's my kind of summer vegetable, if you like, that I'll put onto this recipe. Um with sliced pear, um, some toasted walnuts, and maybe dressed in some foraged raspberry vinegar. Really easy to make your own raspberry vinegar. Um, with then this baked feta cheese. Now it's a classic salad, um, but the, the way that we've made it was about 145 grams of ground almond, um, with about 60 mils of lemon juice, half a cup of water, three tablespoons of olive oil, two cloves of garlic, and one and a half teaspoons of salt. Just put it in your food processor, blend it, and then just drain it a little bit to get any of the moisture out of it. Put it into a baking dish in your oven, 180 degrees for 30 minutes, just until it goes golden brown in the top. And that's your your feta cheese, baked feta cheese, but vegan. Oh, wow. Crumble that over your salad and dress it with your raspberry vinegar, and it's absolutely gorgeous you can do it with blueberry vinegar you can do it with pine nuts any kind of nuts but amazing. it's a classic salad we did it last week because um a friend of mine had given me pheasant and they were moving house and they had lots of pheasant leftovers so the whole idea of value the animal we're trying to go as vegetarian as we can but you know it was important for us to honor what has been given so we had some um just uh, fried 
uh, pheasant, coconut oil, some herbs, and then I use that as the salad. It's gorgeous, one of my favorites. God, that sounds amazing. How do you make the raspberry vinegar? Uh, raspberry vinegar, and you don't like this one just as much. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I have my apple cider vinegar. I'll put in uh, about 600 mils of apple cider vinegar, about 450 grams of um, raspberries, um, but sugar. Um, so you really do need to match it with the sugar, uh, just because it's quite sweet and stop the fermentation within the raspberry itself. But you set it in for four days, allow it just to infuse and then drain it, cook it, um, and you cook it for about, simmer it for 15-20 minutes and bottle it. Um, so the right way to do that probably is put the raspberries into the apple cider vinegar for four days, then you add the sugar and allow it to stew. Go onto the internet for a recipe, really easy. That does sound actually easy. Except for that we will be selling it soon, so you know. <laughs> Support local, don't make it yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, you know, it does sound easy, but I don't think it is easy. It is easy, it is. Like, I know that even making apple cider vinegar is not that difficult. It's just going through the border of. Do you know, like it's way easier if somebody makes it. <laughs> Do you know, it's sometimes space. Do you know, like we've been doing our own home brewing, you know, and again, so it's just discovering the plants and what they're for. So we've been doing, you know, our brewing, winemaking, um, some of them infusions, the vinegars. But it just boils down to if you're going to ferment stuff, you just need the space to be able to do it. And we don't have larders in the way that, you know, the old houses were built with storage space, so. larders to be able to do it. Um, so, you know, we are limited a little bit, but. We certainly try it, you know, and we're out in the country, so we do have the shed, and we, we have places that we can put it. Yeah, see, that's my dream, to have a pantry. It is! <laughs> have a house with a big <laughs> kitchen and have my own pantry. And, the lady of the manor. Oh, yeah, and have a, have a plot of land where you could... I like My dream is to make a lunch with just going out into the garden and pick every single item I need to make a salad, just pick it off my land. That's like the dream. Or make a soup out of the stuff I grow myself in the garden. I just, like, that's, give me that and I'm happy. But isn't it, like, and that's why, you know, I'm saying dandelion leaf. But it's not the only salad leaf you'll ever want to have in a salad, but an amazing leaf to put in a salad. Like, most people can get their hands on some un, you know, doesn't have any pesticides on it. Most people can access a dandelion leaf in their garden. Apparently, um, plantain is. I've learned. Plantain's recently. amazing. Yeah, plantain just yeah. Um, and actually, really good hill walking because you'll always find it when you're out walking. But for blisters, you put it on your foot. It's just such an amazing herb. You know, it's fabulous. Um, and cleaver is you know it's like one of those ones for your detox. Yeah. You can put it on a salad. Yeah. See. Um, after my latest foraging walk, um, I actually raided my friend's garden, and I just came home. <laughs> I just came home with like a box of uh, red clover flowers. Yeah, yeah. And I just rinsed them, and we just for the next three days we were eating salad with just scattered clover flowers on it. My boyfriend was just looking at it like. What is this? <laughs> just, but it's and it, it, it looks nice. Do you know? It, but it looks gorgeous. Yeah. Whether it's your nasturtium flowers or your lavender, or your top of your chives. You know, I mean, it just yeah. it, it picks up the color. And I've been picking. I I go training at Wildfoot, and they have a forest in there. And every time I leave my session, I look where I park my car. There's a big bush with tons of sticky weed. And I've learned on the foraging walk that you can get the sticky weed and infuse it in the water overnight and then yeah. just sip on the water during the day. And so I've been doing that. <laughs> it's just like this weirdo comes <laughs> home with like a bag of weeds from the forest <laughs> and then use it in my kitchen. But it's amazing. It is. This is what we should be doing. We should be living all like that. <laughs> um. This has been an amazing chat, Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank you for but having me. But actually, I've just come up with one last question Ooh. that I didn't prepare you for, but it's just came to it's just come to my head now. Do you have a favorite herb? If there was one one f herb that you were to recommend or say that it's your favorite, which one would it be? Yeah, well, probably it has been um, nettle had been the one that I have kind of had settled on for quite a while it would be hard to pass um, because it's such a tonic herb you know it was good for so many things 
Um, it's abundant for everyone. Um, it, it'd be hard to kind of pass Natalie. Is there any kind of issue with Natalie for anybody? Would there be something that would stop someone from taking Natalie? That's a good question. Um, no, not one that I can think of. Now, I would need to check that, so don't take my word on it. Um, but off the top of my head, I mean, it, I can't foresee a problem to that for anybody. Um, I mean, it was generally regarded as a tonic, so I'll have a look, but I'll confirm that one for you, but I can't imagine it being a problem. I actually have still some dry nettle at home, so I'm going to go home and make a nettle tea. <laughs> thank you very much, Gareth. This has been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. I'm really looking forward to you finishing your studies and starting up a whole big And I'll start my third millennium monastery eventually. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Can I come and live there, please? <laughs> <laughs> Gareth wants to make sure about the nettle and um, so before I left his lovely home he consulted one of his many herbal books and indeed there is no issue with the nettle. Apart from rare cases of skin irritations on touching the herb which can happen with pretty much any herb or plant and believe it or not I seem to have that issue with a chamomile flower. But anyway nettle safe uh, if you liked our chat and like the sound of the Wild Sage, go to thewildsage.co.uk to find out more about their products and you should definitely order some tea to try. Um, you will not be disappointed. And if you ever find yourself in Belfast on Sunday, go to the St. George's Market and stop by at the Wild Sage stall where you can buy a variety of tea blends and organic natural handmade cosmetics and have a chat with Gareth or his lovely wife Carla. If you have already tried the tea and like it, I can highly recommend getting the yearly subscription. I pretty much stopped buying herbal tea in shops um, because I know that with the Wild Sage tea I'm kinder to the environment, I'm supporting local business and most importantly I'm getting the kind of herbs my body needs at that particular time of the season. Remember, you can download Gareth's vegan baked almond cheese recipe from our Instagram or our public group page on Facebook, where you will find it in a PDF form in the file section. And if you like this episode or any other episode of this podcast, please do us a small favor and leave us a feedback on social media or even better, rate us on iTunes and leave some review. These ratings seem like a pain in the backside but believe me they really do make a real difference to us content makers and I enable us to reach a much wider audience and if you wanted to buy the sweet spot cookbook with plant-based diabetic and celiac friendly recipes and tips on how you can support your health with healing and easy to digest meals you can find it on amazon or ibooks or you can message me on social media for a personal order and this is it for this episode. But before I let you go, I want to invite you to a very special event coming to Northern Ireland this year. On 20th of September, you can come and learn some important skills for living a healthy life in the modern 21st century that you weren't taught in school. I'm talking breathing techniques, situational awareness, living and excelling under pressure, Dealing with stress, communication, um, collaboration, self-defense and a lot more. All of this will be available at the Magic Flow Bus event from the 20th of September, Friday, until the afternoon of Sunday, the 22nd of September. You can join us and learn with some of the best of international teachers. And because this event spreads across the whole weekend, you will have plenty of opportunities to learn and chat to like-minded people. I've linked up the tickets and their Facebook page through our Facebook group and through Instagram. Uh, but if you want to find out more, you can go to www.magicflowbus.com and look for the experience in Ireland. Have a lovely couple of weeks, go make some organic seasonal herbal tea, and whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time, bye!
As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>